welcome to the latest episode of The Run-In. Just quickly before we have today's interview with Johan Runison, a uh, quick mention for some results from the European Cross-Country Championships, which uh, took place quite recently, and a fantastic result from uh Inverness's uh, Megan Keith who was 27th in the under 20 race she was the fifth Brit and that British team secured the team gold medal in that race in the women's under 20 and then also Chris Jones he was 22nd in the men's senior race and he was a third Brit to finish which means he was one of the counters in that team competition he secured 22nd place just ahead of a Belgian who was in 23rd and that result meant that they got the team gold medal so fantastic run from Chris Jones in a very pretty hilly course he said on Twitter I think beforehand he was practicing going the practicing the downhills recently in training and it really really paid off so great results from both Chris and from Megan um, at the weekend fantastic but let's go straight on to our interview today Uh, so we are joined this week by a very special guest, um, Swedish elite national team representative, multiple WOC attendee um, and current WOC relay champion, Johan Runesson. Johan, welcome to The Run-In. Thank you very much. First of all, how are you? How's it going? Um, Sweden's in the deep, dark, cold of winter now. What's it like over there at the moment for, uh, for training and um, for the orienteering side of things? Uh, yeah, I'm fine. Uh, I mean, uh, usually I start training in December, so I've just uh, kicked in the new training season, and it's uh, of course the first weeks you're really motivated. So uh, right now I'm like top motivated for training, and uh, the conditions here in Sweden at the moment. Uh, we had the first snow in the Stockholm region where I live, approximately one and a half week ago. And then disappeared, but it came back with uh, two, three centimeters of snow last night. So it's very nice uh, views uh, out in the forest at the moment. But of course, it's um, not optimal for orienteering since it's going to be tracks easily. Yeah, which obviously makes the forest a bit tough as a run through as well when you're dealing with the uh, the bilberry and the undergrowth underfoot as well. So it's quite a tough slog at the moment for training. Yeah, but I mean the. It compensates with the views uh, when the, we have these white uh, Christmas trees that I call them. It's uh, of course it's like normal uh, uh, spruce trees. Uh, it's it's something extra every winter, uh, and uh, you can always uh, stand it for two, three, four weeks, and then usually when you get tired of it, you it's time for the yearly training camps in southern uh, Europe. So uh, yeah, it's. As a Swede, you're kind of also longing for this type of uh, training season when you know it's going to be spending some hours in the snow anyway. I think that's the opposite of the Brits, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) It's just packed down, shut up training for the day. (laughs) And we know there's like no, there's never going to be a winter without snow. So we know it's coming. So it's better to embrace it when it comes. (laughs) <laughs> so I guess I, we'll get into your kind of your kind of career and progression from juniors to seniors in a second. But then, in terms of your training on the, on the weekly basis, if we just dive into that. I guess do you do much cross training at a winter then, or is it still very much focused on on running on getting big long orienteering sessions out? Uh, since I can almost like remember, I have been. Um... 
no problems with uh, injuries or whatsoever. So I've always been able to run, uh, which have made me like kind of um, training philosophy is like what you do every day is what's going to make you better in the end. So if I can run, I want to run. I mean, I played so many sports when I was young. Maybe that was like building up my uh, body for the amount of training load that I trained when I was older. But I have never had any problems of actually running uh, up to 22 hours a week. Uh, So at the moment, I'm actually almost never doing anything else than running the whole uh, seasons. Uh, Maybe attending four or five days of a training camp with friends on cross country but otherwise uh, I actually stay away from uh, the cross country or the roller skis training that quite a lot of the Nordic uh, orienteers actually do Okay, and do you think that maybe the the type of terrain in Sweden is a reason for that, that because it's a bit softer and you're not on the roads as much maybe that you're able to do that much running training because 22 hours is quite a lot for a for a weekly training load yeah yeah i mean that's our my uh when i have trained the most uh, i mean of course uh, you never have that uh, like an average um but i guess i mean i have been my profile as orienteer is also like i'm i'm so uh focused on the orienteering like forest uh distance i've always been and where I have been living in um, my years, I mean, I lived uh, five years in Gothenburg and then two years in Tampere and now living in Stockholm, which have been, uh, I have also been um, lucky to live close to the forest. So I've always been able to have a good, big orienteering map in my, uh, maybe like in my uh, own words, maybe not the nicest terrain, but as I always hear when people from non-Sweden come to my places, they're like, oh, it's so nice. So so I guess it's nice. <laughs> and, yeah, I think you had that for me last weekend, didn't you? But it's the nicest forest I've ever been in. That will is pretty average. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then... I like, and all I should maybe say, I love orienteering so much. So I... Usually I do a lot of like, just, I take a map from my uh, like box with a lot of maps uh, and then um, like from from where I live and then I just make a course and go out and run it. And of course, then I run in the forest. And I mean, our forest is of course very soft. But of course, if if, if, if I would have run on tracks or like on roads, paved roads, it would have been a little bit other, I think, like for knees and for your um, calves, maybe to to be more just like it, that's how do you say like uh, monotonic movements. Because in the forest, yeah. you always have the differences in every step you take and everything. So I think that's like in that type of way, it's it's not so uh, tough on your body to run much. But of course, it's it's easy to get you know like tired in your. Um, hot and everything because it's like quite tough to run up and down up and down in and down in the marshes and all the way so yeah. i mean that is but that have been my kind of what i have to adjust my training from how how tired i am more like in an average uh, of the whole body instead of like oh it have been too much pressure now on the legs or for maybe people who are doing uh 
Some, some skiing, maybe the arms get tired because they are not used to that. And but for me, it's more like the whole whole body that I have to keep in mind that don't push too hard. Everyone knows that if you train too much uh, on a long uh, period, it's gonna take you some time to come back to that good feeling. Yeah, yeah. no, definitely. Um, so yes, that, that's a great insight into kind of you now and, and where you are at the moment and going into the winter. Let's take a backward step of giving people a background of where you you came onto the scene and, and what you've done. So, kind of 2008, you burst onto the international orienteering scene with um, three gold medals at a home junior world championships in in Gothenburg. Um, you know, a silver medal as well in the in the sprint, and um, with this new bright star of Swedish orienteering. And the year after, in 2009, you uh, you, you got quite a bad injury, I think, and then you weren't able to um, to run uh, Jaywalk that year and defend your titles. Uh, can you just give us a little bit of a sense of what it was like winning on, on home ground in 2008 and you know, kind of being shoved into this focal point of running early in the senior ranks as well for Sweden at the World Cup that year and then, then missing out the next year? Yeah, I mean, to be, to be really, like, understanding it, it's like maybe you should have also moved back even one more year uh, when I was actually a first uh, year junior and mm. made it all the way to Jaywalk that was in Australia that year. And for, for me, that was like the the starting point because I ran uh, the middle distance in Australia and I finished eight. Okay. And when I was st- standing with the coaches, uh, the head coaches of the Swedish junior team, uh, looking at the results and we were like yeah you know like he is eight, born 88 uh, 87 he's born 87 so we were like counting down and then I saw like okay so if it was the same race one year from now I would have been third so that was like okay actually right now I'm the top three guy of those who's going to compete next year uh, so then I realized that okay it's actually like a realistic goal to take a medal next year because it's also home ground it's going to be it's going to be even better for me to compete in uh, Gothenburg back then I didn't live in Gothenburg I haven't been there because um, I lived in uh, Örebro like in the middle of Sweden so so then I, I just it was so easy to get the focus and, and every training from there was basically just Pure motivation. I knew like every time I run, because when you when when you were running Jaywalk, you know that the winning time is around seventy minutes, mm-hmm. and you know like if you're if you're uh, like in Nordic terrain, it's usually ten to eleven k. Then of course when you go down in the continental terrain, it's it might be ha- have to be longer because it's so fast uh, running speed. I mean I think uh, last year in Hungary like in 18 it was 14 15k so then it was also like every time I run a 11k to 10k um, training I was like just pushing it like 70 minutes and this was I mean I knew I, I, I pushed myself very very hard that year because I run, I, I run so many tough trainings which I today would never do but I think also when you are younger, you, I mean, and as I said before, I I did like, 
I think I did 10 sports at the same time when I was like young, young, like uh, 10, mm. 11, 12. So of course back then I I somehow I build up the tolerance and the resistance of training uh, maybe a little bit too much. Uh, so I was somehow prepared to actually run fast four or five times a week back like in in when I was eighteen because basically that was what I was doing. I was running too many times fast if I would have said it today. Uh, but of course I didn't train that amount of hours. So of course when you when I was training maybe around 7 8 hours uh and then of course you have you you can maybe run some trainings instead faster than than uh, than today when you're training around 14 15 hours I mean then you you can't have the same percentage high mm-hmm. uh of course then you Basically, uh, I mean, if I compare this year's training than 2008, it's basically I do the same fast session, but then I just add uh, seven or eight hours of just very, very slow running. Uh, yeah. And so I guess you can, you can dip into the well a bit less, can't you? When you when you're upping your hours to that volume, yeah, you can't really take yeah, yeah, much yeah, out. No, 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 it's 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 uh, then, then it's gonna be too much. Uh, at least for me, I mean, it's always something everyone has to find out themselves. Uh, but for me, it has been very clear that it, that's how it is for me. Doing that, I mean, I was basically running uh, a jaywalk long and a jaywalk middle every single week in fifty-two weeks, basically. <laughs> That is that is intense. How did you do with that kind of mentally? Was it just so easy for you? you like, um, you had that I, supreme motivation, or, or did it get tough? Nah, because I mean, we we have this, you know, uh, when we um, finished um, the junior high in in Sweden, or mm. or kind of like uh, we we when we are fifteen, so we have like in Sweden we have this like you go from uh, primary school is like one to nine level like one year second year third and fourth and fifth and and then ninth year and then you we have this that we call gymnasium and in sweden that's like high school and then uh, there is like this orienteering schools that you can like apply for and move and then there is maybe eight nine ten others also coming there so you train together and and usually you are maybe the same level in orienteering so it's quite easy to have uh, uh, competitive trainings. I am very competitive. Uh, and I was very, very competitive when I was younger. So, I mean, there was not a training when I didn't want to be the best. So every single training, there was like, maybe it was a long run. Then, I mean, I, I want to be the one who was running the longest. Because then it wasn't about the speed. But when it was uh, orienteering, of course, I want to be the fastest. When we had uh, strength training, I want to want be the one who did the most uh, reps in every single um, uh, session. Like, or like, I want to do the most sit-ups. I want to do the most uh, pull-ups. So, so that was like, it was easy to have the motivation. And also, I mean, yeah. there were also two other guys who was knocking on the door or was in the junior national team uh, in my school as well. So so it was very easy to see, like, if he's if that guy is becoming a little bit better, damn, I need to raise my level myself. Uh, and, okay, yeah. now I'm ahead of him. Good, good, good. Uh, that That's good for me. 
that you can't slack off because they'll catch you. Yeah, you exactly. Takes foot off. Yeah, yeah. So that just fueled the whole winter, summer through to through to Jaywalk, and then you got there and and just did exactly the same thing you've been doing for the whole rest of the year. You've already done twenty long distance races and. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, and I had had that learning from from the year before that I realized that everyone, basically, like a whole time when I was junior, I realized that basically everyone, when they are at the Jaywalk, they give all they have and they make a lot of mistakes. So I realized like (laughs) the best way to like end up is like if, if I play it safe and take my controls are gonna beat so many that are usually maybe ahead of me because they have they or everyone thinks that today I have to be super duper best. I have to if I'm gonna win I have to do 120%. So then they give 120% and then they make two, three, four minute mistakes instead. So they are actually maybe only doing 85%. So I, I realize like if I can give 95% it's gonna be super good for me. So I I was having like that yeah. little extra gear left always but instead i was doing really super good orienteering um and that it was something i was doing every single like championship and and big important racer as as a junior do you think that is just the main takeaway from any junior orienteering competition that they've got quite a few g's who listen to the podcast that yeah you you run at 95 percent. you don't try to go for 120 yeah, I think it's the learning to do it also when you're senior. But you, you, that was like, because that's what I was about to come to. Because then I thought when I became a senior, I thought like, okay, now you have to, uh, you have to push. But now when I'm like, again, when I'm older and, and, and maybe stronger, I realize it's the same all over. But there is some kind of, time needed to develop your strength and your speed and your like physical um, how to say endurance uh, mm-hmm. because you are like there are a few guys i mean i was quite uh, promising when i was a junior but still there were um, to be able to be as good as uh, Thierry who i was like starting to compete against when i was 21 there were mm-hmm. some um, hours needed before I could be there uh, it took me some years uh, for some it goes fast it, I mean it all depends where you have and of course it also depends a little bit of, of every race's um, uh, skills that are required I mean for example you can look at the walk this year and then you look at the walk in two years and you look in walk mm-hmm. one year back there's going to be three completely different walk uh, races mm. where you can definitely see that it, there is a different type of orienteering skills needed and physical skills needed and uh, of course in the end I mean Olav yeah let's say he wins in two years he will maybe win them all but I mean if you look at those who maybe doesn't have it all but they can still mm. perform really high uh, if there's a perfect terrain and perfect course for them those guys would be completely different what's a perfect terrain and a perfect course for you what's your ideal style of orienteering i think i would say there's two types that suits me really well uh one is uh the estonian and the latvian green Mm -hmm. bushy flat area with like 
you need to be fast, but you don't need to be that super fast. And then it's more about the movement in the forest. I like jumping uh, and uh, sidestepping around all those fallen trees. Because mm. uh, I think I have... I have a lot of that from because I'm doing so much running in the forest. So I'm doing those small movements. I'm 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 like taking that extra kick with a with a leg to jump over a tree. Mm. Uh, then actually running on on the roads on the paths. Uh, like because if you go down to maybe Switzerland, it's so fast in the terrain. Mm. So it's more similar, and you run more smoothly all the way. So it's it's more about the, the actually to be faster just on paths uh, mm. than than uh, that terrain because it's still fast, and then I mean the navigation skills uh, suits me really because it's it's so dense in, in uh, Estonia and Latvia where we have running now the last years, so it's yeah. really good for me. I I lie I can I trust myself so I can push really fast even though I have limited visibility. I trust my my compass and I trust myself that I I know what to do. And then of course the area around uh, Gothenburg and the west coast of Sweden, like mm-hmm. uh, like that the walk terrain we all thought would be. Uh, I mean we run the test races. Uh, that the organizer had when you go out and you just have these long legs straight through the forest push 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 not the truck running that it was now on on a walk uh, in the end Um, but that type of terrain when when you have to it's still easy orienteering in my mind uh, can be but it's like you need to be running smoothly in the forest all the way like finding those small passages all the time that, and and um, yeah and then push in that tough terrain so would you say so it sounds like it's also kind of terrain where you've got to be mentally very strong yeah to deal with any kind of setbacks or if you don't feel quite as good physically you've got to keep on yeah yeah i mean you know, I, mentally focused exactly i mean i have been uh, then i mean i moved to Gothenburg in 2010 so of course i my my physical um, uh, like muscles in my body have of course maybe adapted to that type of terrain because I mean then you run m- much up and down you run in the marshes and everything but uh, uh, that's I really understand because that's uh, what I I learned myself that sometimes you are really like tired in trainings but you realize that you have to just push through that like border that you maybe want to um yeah you know you want to quit the race but you don't and then you push through and actually after five to ten minutes it becomes like easier but you have to break through the barrier sometimes yeah we often we sometimes talk about the terrain when we're pre-running world championships and then we're talking about it on the tv production especially things like in latvia we're saying this terrain is horrible to just kind of do training in but as a competition terrain when you're in a really um you know in a really positive mood and you're really attacking the course then it's fantastic yeah 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 definitely i mean quite many terrains are actually very nice when you run competitions uh they are then yeah i know that we are in sweden are very privileged with our terrains because we have a lot of nice 
training terrains, sort of speaking. Yeah. <laughs> can you also explain, because of, most of our listeners are from the UK, can you try and explain how well-known and how big orienteering is in Sweden? Um, basically, everyone know what orienteering is. Because, <laughs> uh, like, it's mandatory in the school for everyone to do mm-hmm. orienteering. Like, you can't finish the school uh, in PE mm-hmm. with, like... Uh, and pass it without b- doing orienteering. It's like been like this for ages in Sweden. So, so f- mm. first of all, like everyone knows what orienteering is. Then, of course, the sport orienteering is always a little bit different than what you may be having in the schools, depending on how good the schools are. But mm. then, I mean, everyone knows what it is. Um, and then as a sport, for example, the last four or five years, uh, it has been showing uh, all the world championships on our like primary channel like your BBC for example that's the one that are broadcasting the uh, in in the the Swedish television and of course Tove winning a lot of goals is always good for the publicity publicity in like the newspaper and so on so for example uh, this year the orienteering federation like the swedish orienteering federation we have four nominees to this every year um sportsmen's uh, gala that is counting like the whole uh sweden and every yeah. sports like both uh, olympics non-olympics winter and summer sports and you there is maybe i think there is 10 prizes in total and there are four nominees in each like for example our head coach is nomin- one of four nominees for the um, uh, yes, the coach, y- of, the the coach year. of the year and then the male athlete of the year Gustav Bergman is nominated and woman athlete of the year is Tove and then also uh, team performance of the year is the women's team from uh, from WOC uh, relay yeah and they are like a f- they are nominated against this uh, cross-country skiers and the football uh, team from uh, from uh, the summer who was third in World Cup, I think. So of yeah. course it's it's like we're getting it's it's big, but of course we are not like the the biggest one. Of course, like like every other sports. I mean football uh, and and no in Sweden we have also ice hockey. They are like they are in the league of their own, but we are one of the top ten when it comes to how how big we are. And we, I mean, we have a lot of volunteers. Do you do you feel that then when you're part of the national team, there is a big expectation on you and on your results? I can't say that I really like, I feel it. I have never felt uh, that kind of like a pressure. But of course, I, I feel support. Uh, like when, we, of course, we have Oringen, which somehow is always close or close after. Uh, walk, and there is always maybe something with the walk team at Oring, and when we're doing maybe some kind of presentation of the team or celebrating of the team, and then having autographs, signings, and and media time, and there is of <laughs> course always a lot of like orienteers and orienteering kids 
that are uh, interested in. But uh, many knows that in its fun that but they really maybe do, we are not like stars anyway i would say only two mm. is now uh, orienteering is developing more and more in in the public service uh, televisions and and radio since everything else is costing so much money for for uh, them to broadcast yeah and do you think that's a good thing that it's becoming more in the public or do you think that's kind of I think it, the sport in that's some way? where at least where I want the orienteering to be I mean I don't want it to be a money sport because I think mm. if yeah if orienteering is gonna be um, like for example I know it's never gonna happen but let's say it's with the Premier League uh, in in England like that everyone gonna pay a lot of money to to show it so it's gonna of course then it would have been more money for us runners I think mm. there could be a lot of uh, both doping and cheating uh, at mm. least to somehow maybe interfere with with our sport and uh, that is something I don't want to see so so I think it's like it's really good where we are now when we are still a really good TV sport for those who, who and of course it's nice if it can go like how to say on a budget that it goes around and gives us a little money so they can make really good broadcasts mm. but I don't I, I, I really don't see how it could be beneficial for us to like really make a lot of money because uh, then I think mm. it's gonna interfere yeah so, so do you think if, if RHM did ever make it to the Olympics that would cause that kind of problem to come up because I certainly I'm like, certain yeah, of it the day it, it would open up the door yeah I I, I have always <laughs> uh, been um, against uh, Olympic uh, and orienteering because I, I, I honestly believe that this is only my own opinion but I would say there's no endurance sports that are in the Olympics with this doping free and that is something I can say from my heart that I truly believe that orienteering is doping free at the moment. Because uh, you, and yeah, and and uh, I think the same day we're gonna, we make it to the Olympics, we're gonna have a lot of doping. Olympic is so big and it's, it's a way for all those people who have a really tough uh, life conditions to somehow make it on their own in, in 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 and make a new life and then maybe they have other thoughts about what is right and wrong uh, and i think that is yeah. why why for example some runners from some countries are maybe more doped than runners from other countries because uh, their life depends on it and i totally yeah. and then understand why they maybe do it actually but then I don't like it. But that's another question. Yeah, no, you can see, yeah, you can see the logic behind the choices being made. But I suppose that's the good thing about it's the good thing and bad thing about our interview is that we all maybe hold ourselves to a good high standard of moral conduct. But that also, yeah, there isn't that money really to force people into it to go. I'm this is going to be my escape from from this situation or that situation. It's yeah. If people do, if people do move to other countries, like um, people from, like I tell you, Alexander Kratov moving to um, Sweden when he was younger, 
mm. there, there's a certain payback of making maps and coaching juniors and all of this kind of stuff. So it's not just a pure monetary gain. I think in orienteering, if you if you do move country to to somewhere else, yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I think I mean that is like a really good example for something like that. It's working. I think at the best at the moment. Of course, it's always nice if it would have been a little bit better. But then again, like when is a little starting to be too much? Uh, but but um, yeah, I think it's really good. Like that now it's like if you there is some who can you know make their living on orienteering, but then you have to somehow you have to give uh, back to to the clubs that are maybe paying you and somehow. And I think that is like a really good combo right now when when. Uh, we are taking care of each other sort of speaking like like for example like yeah if you're a professional maybe you're coaching the youngsters in your club and and like it's so much giving and taking uh at least in my opinion in both ways and mm-hmm. and i think the more professional it would get the more away from giving and taking back uh, i think it will in the end develop too and, and that will also like then it will be affecting the the like you i think you learn a lot like moral conductions and so on uh by learning and and seeing each other and i think it will grow more and more apart uh yeah. but of course it's only my own opinion uh it's nothing uh, i can and i i, I really understand those who i really understand those who doesn't believe in me and i understand those who really fighting for the olympic dream uh cuz but somehow i don't have the trust in that the the people will will uh, in the best of worlds it would have been of course awesome to run olympic but it's it's not an ideal world <laughs> no unfortunately not <laughs> so i i guess the kind of last part of that uh, moves on to where you are you are now so you've um, just transferred to efk lidinger and are working as the coach for for the the club there um i guess is that part of the reason why you've you've made that choice to give a bit more back to um the club structure and orienteering and and kind of getting supported by the club in that way uh, you were at Tampa in Parinto um previously and you've just yeah I guess you've just tried to fed over this winter yeah I mean um I've always liked um to to uh work with people sort of or thing i i've i've felt it already when i was younger uh, and i knew that i mean i want to become like maybe pe teacher or something similar or but first i mean i've always been like determined that I, i'm going to do my own thing first like uh, my career Mm. but then it's you know it's all about uh, making it go around so so back in 14 I was like on this um, crossing when I was like which way to to go from here uh, standing in like in the route choice options sort of speaking uh, and then I decided to I uh, maybe time to start studying uh, so I can get some funding also because in mm. Sweden we have really good fundings from the schools or universities so I can still do orienteering and then I had to think a little bit what I want to do when I I'm older, and then I decided, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I want to be coming a coach, uh, if possible, because um, I think I have. A, I already did back then. I was 24, and I have made quite big results somehow. And I, I thought that 
some more years and I will hopefully have something both from my own career and then if I can uh, build on uh, education on that uh, it might be uh, maybe interesting for clubs national teams or or those schools that I talked about earlier uh, to maybe hire me so that I was like then I started that I was studying three years and then I was like soon to be ready and then I realized like when I'm ready I need to start working or what how should I else have that like some kind of small income that I need to compensate because I I couldn't be completely 100% professional in my current club at that moment um I needed some funds uh but then I came in contact with Tampere and then I was like okay I could move there and and actually be professional and make that a two three year project and then uh, that's when I really took the next level of course uh finishing fourth and third in in uh, walk in 2017 uh, but then yeah last Last autumn, I was contacted by Leidinge that they knew about my background as a like educated coach, and they were wondering like, I mean, you're twenty eight years, you will still be able to do orienteering, uh, but we we would like you to have you as a coach. And then I mean, I came in the decision like, yeah. I know that uh, 100% orienteering coaches paid off uh, jobs doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> so I knew like, okay, I mean, basically if I say no to them, it's going to be maybe five to 10 years until at least they maybe have a new position. I think it would be quite hard to move into one of the big four or five national teams as a head coach when you have like no uh, practice or expertise so I was like it was a quite easy decision to make that actually like maybe it's time and and then see how uh, and I take uh, one year at a time so that's like where I am at the moment Um, I'm working 100% as a coach and uh, every year I'm evaluating like what to do with the next year with my own elite career I think it's working out really well um, uh, and hopefully the athletes in my club are liking the job I do. Uh, I always say it's 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 all about them and they are the ones who should uh, evaluate me. But it's always me who do the evaluations of course with them yeah. but it's like you should also evaluate me. Uh, you're doing an okay job at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> um. So you're assessing every year what to do with your elite career so what are you thinking for 2020 what races do you are you interested in and um wanting to focus on yeah i uh we had uh, i was sitting down with the national team coach in sweden and uh, we decided that uh it's a little bit a uh, bit of change now of course with the walk every second year mm-hmm. uh for me uh, I have nothing to do on the sprint uh, walk and the sprint AOC in the coming years because uh, yeah. it would need it would need too much change of training for me and I am not that kind of hybrid runner so I can do both <laughs> so so we decided to make actually now it became a two year plan so I'm hundred percent focused on first running AOC in Estonia 
and then um, trying to combine it actually with uh, a last year for the overall World Cup. Uh, mm-hmm. Since it is quite, it is now when walk is not the World Cup, it opens up my um, bill, my chances a little bit to make a good overall performance with uh, only two sprints in Switzerland. So I need to be a little bit sprint now in in Switzerland, <laughs> and then I can uh, focus full on the middle and long distance. Because there's three long distances in the World Cup next year, I think as well. So yeah, and, uh, yeah. three long and two middle, I think. Europeans in Estonia as well. You've got a fourth place in the middle distance from Wok, yeah, 2017, and a bronze medal in the relay. So, you know, yeah, possibly one of the favourites, I guess, for for the podium when we go back there next year. Yeah, if if it's uh, it turns out to be a, a good training season, I'm definitely hoping to be one of those fighting for for the medals there. Since I like to train a lot, uh, I was there just after Wok this year, but uh, I I should also be fair to. I mean, after this year's walk, it was uh, very hard when you know that there's a lot of sprint. And so my motivation was actually a bit down. Um, but now I'm, it was really good to sit down and make this kind of plan. So now, so now I'm actually on the road again, sort of speaking. And, and um, I think it's every athlete always comes down in those motivational uh, ups and downs. And... Uh, <coughs> And uh, it is. Uh, I think it's important to always have some kind of a goal to to uh, work against. Uh, it's it's make it so much easier. For me, it was like, you know, it's um, like kind of a training. It's like a tunnel, but you can see the the end of it. And before it was just pure pure darkness, sort of speaking. Like you know, what's to train for? But now it's it's so much easier. So I'm yeah. I'm I'm yeah. really motivated for the middle distance in. Um, in Czech, and yes. then for the both long and middle in uh, AOC next year. So, yeah, European Championships in Estonia. Yeah, fantastic. Will the relay form quite a big focus as well? Because this year you were brought in as a kind of specialist first leg runner. Yeah. Walk relay. That was the only race you did at walk, and I think people might have seen the interview where <laughs> you said that you you just had one job over the whole week, and it wasn't it was to not mess it up. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, is, is that going to be a, a focus again? No. Yeah, the I mean, retaining that that gold medal. Yeah, of course. That is, of yeah, of course. It's always really nice and fun to run the relays. Uh, uh, even though we are individual runners, of course, we we make all the most of the training and motivations for the training for the individual races. But also, I know that in in Sweden, um, actually, the I think. Every year since walk in um, Scotland, uh, it has been going quite bad on the first leg for those who have run it. Uh, actually, except when I have run it two two times. So, so I, I know because it is uh, when we do the trainings in, in Sweden, like relay trainings. Uh, actually, almost the whole um, men team is quite of them our experience like it's so hard and so frustrating to run um because there are so many people in the way mm-hmm. uh so so because everyone are used to be running last legs in our mm-hmm. club teams and we always run like you're alone there's no one following you uh, and then maybe you see some guy you catch up and like oh nice and you get those um 
or maybe you you get caught, but then you're like, you okay, now I'm gonna beat this guy. But there's more like one man, one man against another man. Uh, and in in first legs, you know, it's a lot of people. And if you have longer forking on the first control, maybe you're gonna run then back in the group. And uh, I think there's have been a little problem for us to actually cope with that. But I honestly, I I like it a lot instead because I am always a little bit concerned about how is my uh, speed what how should i run which f- speed should i run today when i run like relays uh, how mm. fast are the other guys running i don't know like are they pushing a lot and when i run first legs it's so easy because i just have to run as fast as the or i just need to run one second faster than the guy behind me because then i know mm-hmm. that's the right speed and then i just have to do orientation yeah. from that so it's like for me, it's so easy instead, and I, I think that I have a little bit different approach than the other Swedes, uh, which making me maybe at the moment a uh, little bit of a first leg expert um, comparing to the other ones. So of course that is also like why why I guess I, I run it because I can cope with that that kind of little bit different scenario than than uh, we're we're used to. But I mean, it's no news because it's have always been a must start. Johan, did you have anything you want? Anything more you wanted to say? Anything you think we haven't asked you about that you want to talk about? The only thing I mean that I someone kind of we almost mentioned it before, and it, there is like what we talked about when I was a junior. I always mm. um, took it like my own speed and 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 make a clear race. And that is something I, I honestly believe. Like, I, I I thought that I needed to run super fast when I uh, became like a elite runner, but I realize now when I'm older that it's uh, it's better to always make a clean race, and then accept the fact that whatever place I get, that's my level today, and then. Uh, it's all about increasing my strength to the next time and then make the same performance and then just, okay, now I am one year stronger. That means that I am like two, three places higher up instead of trying to overrun every time you have the chance. I like accept the level you have and, uh, and take it from there instead of like doing too much. Cause I think quite often when you're trying to do too much, you're going to end up doing more mistakes and, and getting a result which is actually negative than what you hoped for. So that was Johan Runesen there giving us his insight into his career thus far from his Junior World Championship medal hall in 2008 through to his current new role working as coach for EFK Lidinger and I think a great few nuggets of information for a lot of people to take away from that and uh, for us all to build into our own training routines and mental approach to races as well. So um, thanks Johan for uh, for joining us again and uh, next week we'll be having an interview with Emily Benham looking at her very successful season thus far and the uh, gold medal she took at the World Mountain Bike Orienteering Championships and looking at a season review as well where we are going to run through our courses of the year results of the year and breakthrough performances so if you've got any suggestions do let us know at, um, at the running pod on Twitter and Facebook and for now we will see you all next week